My mom has a very black and white picture. Putin is right, everybody is wrong. She trusts the Russian television. And that's the end of discussion. There are certain things that you cannot compromise on. And my disagreement with her on the subject of the war is one of them. And the funny thing, I'm half Ukrainian myself. My mom has Ukrainian, a Ukrainian last name. My mom's sister lives in Ukraine. Um, so it's really close to home. Is your mom's sister that's in Ukraine talking to her? My mom managed to have a fight even with her sister. And her sister is two years older. So her sister, a very sweet and a very humble woman, um, is 94. So technically speaking, every phone conversation could be the last one. And during one of the conversations, uh, my aunt uh, said to my mom, they're bombing us. And my mom, and I really, it is breaking my heart. It's not easy for me to say, but it's also what happened. Uh, and my mom said, that's what you deserve, you Ukrainians. Welcome to the Mama I Hear You podcast, stories for moms by moms. I'm your host, Jamie Evans, a mom to four and seven-year-old boys. In this space, we'll be sharing motherhood stories from listeners like you. In the last episode, we followed Katerina, a Ukrainian mom, as she fled Chernihiv, Ukraine with her two little girls, husband and elderly mom, because of the war. Today's story is about a mom named Marina. Marina was born in Russia, but got married and moved to the United States in her 20s. Marina's 92-year-old mom still lives in Moscow. Marina's mom is steadfast in her faithfulness to the former Soviet Union and now Russian leadership, while Marina has questioned it ever since she was a little girl. This has always caused an underlying tension between the two of them when it comes to politics. But despite this, Marina's mom is still the closest to Marina, even though she has another daughter who actually lives in Moscow. For years, Marina has video chatted with her mom daily and flies to Russia once or twice a year for a visit. But now with Russia invading Ukraine, what used to be an underlying source of tension in the relationship has been brought to the forefront. They are on complete opposite ends with regard to the Russian-Ukrainian war. As much as Marina vehemently opposes the war, her mom supports it. Marina is a highly respected psychotherapist that lives in Connecticut. In this episode, she tries to shed some light on what's behind her mom's strong allegiance to Putin and this war and shares how it's impacted their relationship. Meet Marina. I was born in the country that no longer exists, the USSR. I know a lot of people who can't grasp why so many millions of people could 
believe in the type of basically non-facts so wholeheartedly. If you could explain the Russian culture to people who don't understand it. I think in order to answer that question, we need to look at the history of the Russian people, see the main patterns, the main themes, and then also try to imagine how those events, patterns, themes, affected the formation of the character of the nation. One thing we can say that this is a country where where generations of people are deeply affected by trauma. So I'm a psychotherapist, so I will throw some psychology in my answers, right? So if you look at the history, I'll just take the previous century, you know, the history of Russia. So we'll have a bunch of um, cruel czars. Uh, We had the bloody revolution of 1917. We had hunger, we had um, deprivation, we had a civil war, we had Stalinism, we had Second World War, we had Bolshevism, communism, repression, so on and so forth. And that goes through generations. So we're not talking about one or even two or even three generations. So one thing, there's one concept in psychology called generational trauma. Okay, so think about this. A kid is already born to people whose mentality and whose um, worldview is colored by the trauma. Think about the messages the kid will be getting from the family of origin and think about uh, what messages this kid will pass to the new generation. What is actually abnormal and anomaly becomes normal to them. For example, you look at domestic um, violence victims. What are the messages that those victims hear very often, at least in Russia? By the way, domestic violence has been decriminalized in Russia. That means you cannot go to court. You're on your own. They thought the families should be able to solve their problems. And the state has no place in that, uh, which is ridiculous, right? But anyways, going back to my analogy of domestic violence victims, very often they hear messages as like, oh, come on, you're overreacting. Just get over this. So we have the whole nation traumatized. Marina is no exception. She was raised by two parents whose mentality and worldview were both colored by trauma. My father was a violent, violent alcoholic. But if you look at his own life, he was 17. So the war broke out June 22nd, 41. He turned 17 on June 18th. Just imagine a 17-year-old boy. Boys here at the age of 17, they do varsity sports. You know, they, they look at colleges, prom, okay. So my father joined the war at the age of 17. Um, Later on, he was in aviation. Later on, he was wounded. He saw a lot of deaths. Now I understand. So, uh uh-huh. The guy had what is called today PTSD and what was called earlier on shell shock. 
disorder. Untreated, because those things are not treated. And right. oh, Over here, you can go to a psychologist, psychiatrist, psychotherapist, and it's pretty developed, right? Not in Russia. Not in Russia. My mom, it's a separate story. She's a deeply, deeply traumatized woman who went through a lot in her marriage. Growing up with my dad was very, very difficult for me. I was also abused. I was beaten. Um, um, so I kind of understand how it changed her. And she had it much worse than me, okay? Because I was a kid after all, you know, cute. So you don't slap your kid as hard as you slap your wife. Let me tell you what happens in the mind of a person who was affected by trauma. Trauma completely changes my perception of myself and my perception of the world, all right? So trauma completely changes my worldview. Trauma is also very black and white because trauma becomes my main identity. For example, I think of myself as I am someone who, and then you can feel the gap, like dot, 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 being abused, being raped, being beaten, beat, da, 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 right? And I forget that I am also a mother, um, a wife, a friend, so because everything else goes to the back burner. I'm a trauma victim. That becomes my main theme, okay? Black and white, no 50 shades of gray here. All right. Marina also explains how people who have experienced such ongoing deep trauma either want to become the leader themselves or they want to be led without thinking. So we had maybe in the history of um, Soviet Union and post-Soviet Union, we probably had two brief moments of relative democracy. One was during early years of Khrushchev, uh, didn't last long. And the second one was in the 90s during the President Yeltsin. So there was at least a um, ray of hope, but there was also a lot of chaos, a lot of chaos. And at the end of his ruling, actually Yeltsin brought Putin to power. And I think his hope was that he will establish an order in the country, um, which he did. It was a, it's a very specific order, right? And a lot of people actually are attracted to the idea of a very strong leader, okay? The leader who will take care of you. The leader who, with whom you don't need to think because daddy will take care of your needs. You just sit low, you know, and daddy will come and uh, rescue you or help you. When we are dealing with a lot of people, generations of trauma victims, they have different um, survival mechanisms or, or you know, protective behavior. It is possible to either after experiencing a traumatic event to say to yourself, well, I don't want to depend on other people. You know, I want to I wanna call shots myself. I want to become as powerful as people over there. Up. Or there will be another way of saying, like, I really don't want to think. I need somebody big and strong to protect me. 
so that all the decisions are made by somebody else. So I need to be led by somebody because I don't have my self-assertiveness and independent power, or I need to be the leader, right? Um, so when Putin came to power, a lot of people were already kind of, what would be the word, um, uh, conditioned uh, for responding positively um, to a strong leader. She was pretty happy growing up in the Soviet Union until she was about seven. But then she really started to question things. I started thinking like, okay, if it's the best place, how come that my grandma doesn't have teeth and doesn't have money to, to get teeth? Things like this. For as long as she can remember, her mom's been faithful to and proud of the leadership of the former Soviet Union and now Russia. When she was just about nine years old, she remembers her mom sharing a story with pride about the ruthlessness of Joseph Stalin toward his own son who was captured during the Second World War. She was talking about this with a lot of admiration. Stalin's son, Jacob, was captured by the Germans. And the German generals reached out to Stalin and said, can we swap your son for a German general? And the son was the lowest rank in the army and Stalin, and this is what my mom felt so proud. And Stalin answered, I would not exchange the low-rank soldier into a general. That was the, the, the end of discussion. The son was, if I'm not mistaken, the son was um, killed. By the age of 14, I was deeply cynical already of the communism regime. Between friends, we talked about this all the time, but I would definitely not say it um, aloud in school, for example, in front of the teacher. Marina says in Russian elementary schools, teachers are required to spread the government's messaging, which serves to reinforce what most of the kids are already learning at home, and that children are taught from a very young age that the world is against them. First of all, the messages at home, at least at 70% of households in Russia, is that Russia is now waging a fair and liberating war. We are trying to protect our interests and put an end to the world fascism. Unfortunately, many countries are really unfriendly to us. So this kid goes to school, okay? Teachers are telling them the same. Teachers were given instructions how to teach. So what you develop is this frame of mind. The world is very unstable, dangerous, um, not fair. We are being mistreated deeply. Think about this. It's, it's pretty. It's pretty terrible. Did you believe that as a child living in Russia? Did your parents tell you that, and your school told you that, and you kind of believed the world was against you? Oh, for sure. My parents and my school were uh, were telling me that. I also had a lot of free time. Uh, to myself, we were not supervised like kids are um, today. And I had eyes. 
Did you question your mom, dad? I had very little, um, like, really emotional connection with my parents. I wish I had an opportunity to have those conversations with my parents, but I never did. They certainly knew that I did not like that. And it was kind of like, um, what was that saying? Um, Don't ask, don't tell kind of approach. Even though they didn't talk about it, Marina's lack of devotion to the leadership was distressing to her mom. For example, in her early 20s, Brezhnev, the leader of the Soviet party, died. And I remember on the day when he died, I had a friend over and we grabbed a guitar and we started singing a song on the guitar. And my mom came rushing to the door in tears, saying that we are, we are you know, um, basically bad people for not honoring the, the leader, the passing, for not grieving appropriately. And I didn't grieve. You sang? Yes. As a young woman, Marina actually went to work for the U.S. Peace Corps in Russia, but that didn't last very long. My first education is English language. So I was a translator and interpreter, worked for a bunch of different places. I was actually the first, uh, you know, among the first staff, the first wave, the first generation of uh, U.S. Peace Corps, which unfortunately didn't last long. The Russian authorities suspected that the U.S. Peace Corps was a spying organization, but the Russian government sees spies under every bush. Eventually, she met her American husband in Moscow. He was a journalist, um, and um, we had our son in Moscow. Uh, And when my son was seven weeks old, we moved to the U.S. My husband started a grad school here in Boston. After moving to the U.S. for years, Marina has continued to fly to Moscow to visit her mom. And when she visits, she tries to share facts with her mom that widen her perspective beyond Russian state propaganda. I usually come to Russia every year, sometimes twice. During my multiple previous trips to Moscow, I would always carry information on my phone just to show her articles, videos of what's happening. And they were all met with, why do I need to watch them? I already know what I believe. Your husband wrote a book called Raising a Thief, and I remember in it that he said that you were probably the closest to your mom. Yep. And then he also said that your mom would tell you, like, you are a traitor, you hate Russia, um, and he would have conversations with her sometimes after you moved here, and he could kind of see her information world growing smaller and smaller. What are your conversations like now? Very tough. For many years, I've been talking with her on Skype almost daily. It was a rare exception uh, that we did not talk on Skype. You're such a great daughter. Thank you. (laughs) And, um, well, by the way, Russia did cancel, close down Zoom. So I don't have that connection with my mom anymore. Unfortunately. Um, And then when the war happened, 
it was a big point of uh, tension. Yeah. Um, my mom has a very black and white picture. Putin is right. Everybody is wrong. She trusts the Russian television. And that's the end of discussion. There are certain things that you cannot compromise on. And my disagreement with her on the subject of the war is one of them. And the funny thing, I'm half Ukrainian myself. My mom has Ukrainian, a Ukrainian last name. My mom's sister lives in Ukraine. Um, so it's really close to home. Is your mom's sister that's in Ukraine talking to her? My mom managed to have a fight even with her sister. And her sister is two years older. So her sister, a very sweet and a very humble woman, um, is 94. So technically speaking, every phone conversation could be the last one. And during one of the conversations, uh, my aunt uh, said to my mom, they're bombing us. And my mom, and I really, it is breaking my heart. It's not easy for me to say, but it's also what happened. Uh, and my mom said, that's what you deserve, you Ukrainians. And this is when my compassion kind of ends when I see that Russians are not even willing to learn, to look at the facts. When you give them facts and say, here, look at this. And they say, we don't need it. This is where I feel my compassion starts going down. Were they close before the war? They were very close before the war. Yes, before the war. They're the two remaining sisters from the family. There were five children in the family. Three already passed. So they're the two remaining sisters. Um, I do put the blame on my mom, not on my um, aunt. I just don't know how, as her sister, I have an older sister, and if I said, I'm getting bombed, and she said, well, you people deserve it, I don't know how I could not take that extremely personally. It's very difficult. Trauma completely changes your worldview, you become black and white. The world becomes us versus them. And the concept of them over the last few years in Russia was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Initially, them included, let's say, the US, the NATO. Then them became, you know, now basically the whole civilized world was put into the category of them. So us versus them. Now you and your aunt are now put in the category of them, and that's where I get stuck. Correct, correct, correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In the U.S., you know, or anywhere in the world, there are cults. For example, like David Koresh, right? The cult, I don't remember when it existed, 70s, 80s. And... The psychologists were trying to understand this mechanism, how somebody becomes completely brain 
washed. Okay, and there are even specific um, therapeutic modalities allowing us to work with the victims of a cult. So I think that pretty much the whole country, or majority of the country, I would say like this, need to be in this anti-cult therapy, uh, metaphorically speaking. I don't know how to do that because there, there are a lot of features in the thought process, in their beliefs, uh, in their worldview of a cult. Do you not talk about it anymore? You know, we try to talk. She um, she rejected everything. Um, so she she's pretty cold, judgmental. I'm used to insults like traitor, you sold your motherland, which is also such a terrible vocabulary. It's it's tribal. It's it's Old Testament. I don't know how to say. You know, we need to get rid of that, but they. She still lives in that reality, you know. Even though they have this fundamental difference in beliefs, it's still her mom and the relationship is important. I know that she doesn't have a lot of support in life and every call prolongs her life. Uh, My husband calls her, my son, who doesn't speak great Russian, but he still calls her, let's say once a week. Um, Yeah, because that's what she needed for some sort of peace. Those conversations are never in depth. I never tell what I really think. It's all very much like, how are you? I'm going to how's the weather? What did you eat? Simplistic. So it's very still painful for me that she actually doesn't know who I am because I never felt comfortable opening up to that degree to her or even valued for who I am. It's a terrible thing to say, but it's, I think, a accurate thing to say. Marina wants to see her 92-year-old mom again, but because of the war, for the foreseeable future, she can't. You essentially cannot fly to Moscow. And that was really, really hard for me. First of all, you're taking a lot of risk because, you know, U.S. Department even issued a statement that Russia may take advantage of, you know, Americans there. And I'm an American. Um, That's number one. Number two, I'm so active in this anti-war campaign that it certainly registered with the Russians. And this is something Americans may not even understand that. This is the type of censorship and oppression that exists in Russia these days. If I just use the word war to describe what's happening now, it is a punishable criminal offense, punishable by up to 15 years. So literally, the word war can send me to prison for 15 years. You can kill a person and get a... a, less a sentence in Russia than when you call the war the war. Okay, and I did much more than that. That's, how do you explain it to Americans? Do you think you'll ever go to Russia again to see your mom? 
or no, because you've put yourself out there? Right now, right now it's impossible. And right now it is impossible, completely impossible. Not only me, also my husband who who wrote a number of opinion pieces, were published in newspapers, very much not in favor of Russia, you know? So, yeah. Uh, my mom is 92. And I called her a couple of weeks ago, my husband and I. We called her and we said, Mom, we cannot come to Russia, but we can fly you to a country with which Russia still has. Um, Good relations. Real, the relation, yes. Um, and it's either Turkey or Israel. And she said she doesn't want to come. And this is for the first time when I ever mentioned a very um, emotional word. I said, Mom, it could be our last time. And she said, I'm not coming. And I said, Mom, let me make it clear. Are you saying that it could be the last time you can see us before you die? It was so difficult to even pronounce that word. And you're refusing. She said, yes, I do. Yes, I am. Which I, I broke down. Um, I don't know even... I don't know where to go from here. Did your mom give you a reason why she wasn't going to fly to like Turkey or Israel? Just like I'm punishing you because you don't share my beliefs. And I know my beliefs are the right ones and yours are not. That's the end of the conversation. It's a reactivity. She's been reactive all her life. I don't even know how to put it. She, she needs an immediate victory. And if it's a victory because she feels so um, helpless that she starts inventing little islands of control. Okay, she can control that. Of course, she is not consciously aware of that. Okay. Does she understand why you can't come? Does she believe that you would be at risk if you came? I don't think... She completely believes because here's the thing. A lot of information that I know, they come from independent press. Uh, all the independent press was either completely closed down since the beginning of the war or they had to immigrate. Essentially, in Russia, there's nothing but the Kremlin propaganda. People either live in fear or in ignorance, like my mom. If you're ignorant, you're blessed. She has no idea that thousands left. Uh, she has no idea that all independent um, media uh, were closed down. She has no idea that um, journalists were killed, poisoned, and stuff like that. So when I say, mom, I can be arrested, she thinks like, why do you think so? Well, <laughs> because people are arrested. Have you ever been to Berlin, Germany? No? They have an amazing um, monument to the victims of Holocaust. And it's amazing. It looks so simple. 
It's basically huge open space um, covered with little steel or concrete slabs. And initially they're very tiny. You can step over them, you know, and still see the world. You can jump from one to another. They're not creating a problem. But as you continue uh, walking, and it's a huge space, like I said, they become bigger and bigger and bigger till they completely cover the horizon for you and you feel trapped. It is very powerful and I think it's a perfect metaphor um, for fascism. And it is happening now in Russia. If you want to learn more about Marina's mom and her entrenchment in Russian state propaganda, Marina's husband, Paul Podolsky, wrote a wonderful article for the Wall Street Journal titled, My Mother-in-Law Believes Putin on the War in Ukraine. She Thinks the Invasion is Justified. They Said So on Russian State TV. I'll leave a link to the article in the show notes so you can check it out. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I need your help. To help this show get in front of more mama listeners who might benefit from these stories, please follow, rate, and review the podcast. Go to mamaihearyou.com on whatever device you use to listen to your podcasts and click on the button that says rate this show. That's M-A-M-A-I-H-E-A-R-Y-O-U.com. Also at mamaihearyou.com, there is one of my favorite things. You can record your answer to the fun question of the month, such as, where do all the missing socks go? The answers will be pieced together in upcoming episodes with some of the best answers shared on Mama I Hear You's Instagram page and in the Facebook group. And finally, I would love to hear from you. At the website, you can leave me an audio message about the show or just motherhood in general, as well as fill out a short form if you'd like to share your own motherhood story on the show. Thank you again for listening, and I look forward to connecting with you. 